Sci-Fi for Me Radio presents Timothy Harvey, Jason Hunt. This is H2O. They have signed on the dotted line. We have a settlement. An the, accord, if you will. An accord, yes. A Kittimer Accord between CBS and Paramount and Axonar Productions. So we're going to be talking about that tonight. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jason Hunt. I am Timothy Harvey. And Alec Peters calls it a win. And everybody associated with Axonar calls it a win. Well, um, getting to produce at least something of what you said you wanted to make is not a loss. I suppose. And sometimes you take your victories where you can find them. I mean, the other alternative was nothing. Yeah, but the way he's presenting it, it's like he won. Well, uh, I, and, and he's allowing for you know, yes, we're going to have to make adjustments and sure, all that other thing. But, but just the attitude is, we made the studio blink. Well, I think there's some degree that you you kind of have to do that. I mean, you are to some degree marketing yourself and you're marketing your product. Oh. Um, you do have donors. You have basically investors in the project. You want to put a positive face on it. Who are wondering where all that money is? Yeah, there's some question about that too. So I think that you know you. In this situation like this, I think it's perfectly normal. Yeah. It's perfectly normal behavior to act as if you know you have one because you are you have not been shut down, right? You know you have some restrictions, uh, and there are some restrictions on this project now. Yeah, yeah, they are going to have to adhere to the official CBS fan film guidelines that came out last June. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, for those of you who uh, have not been following this closely every day with bated breath, we do have. A number of conversations that we've had about this case over the the past year, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of episodes here on H2O. We've also talked about the case on Echo Chamber, and we will link to all of those. But basically, uh, what it boiled down to is Axonar Productions got too big for their britches, and they had a million and a half dollars they raised in crowdfunding. They were going to make this huge, giant Star Trek motion picture ostensibly a fan film but the way they were presenting it was going to be it's a big you know professional production and tony todd and gary graham and a bunch of all these you know star trek alumni and actors jg hertzler and whatnot were all going to be a part of this thing and cbs and paramount came in and said hold it no time out out of the pool Hmm. you are doing something that is way too big and violates all sorts of copyright and it's not something that we can ignore because it's gotten to be this gigantic thing. And the spin at the beginning was, well, we we were too good. And the studio was spooked. The, sco- the studio was scared that we would take away their, their revenue from their real movies. And, and we were just too good. And... I uh, don't quite think that that was the situation <laughs> over at CBS and Paramount. I have a feeling because they, you know, Peters had even said at one point at, at the at the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, he had a meeting with CBS representatives. Right. And as far as anyone knows, because nobody was actually there, we only have he said, she said type of thing. Sure. We have Peters saying, you know, the, 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 the rumor is 
that the CBS people sat there and said, well, we can't tell you what to do because we're not officially sanctioning any of this. Right. And the spin was CBS didn't tell us not to, so it must be okay. Where if you pro- if you ask a CBS person, they'd probably spin it a little bit differently from that. Sure, yes. Because, <laughs> because the lawsuit would seem to indicate differently from the way that Peters is characterizing things. So, I, yeah. Now, we're, never, we're, we're probably never going to know the terms of the settlement because it's private. Well, to some degree, that's... The, it's to be expected. Yeah, and also that's probably for the best. I mean, ultimately, the uh, you know, looking how law settlements break down and is kind of like you know, looking how politics breaks down. Um, it you, once you start pulling it apart, it looks really messy and yeah. and unpleasant to the eye. Uh, so, you know, lawyers are are an often useful thing, but really, do you really want to spend all your time pouring over the documents? No. Yeah. So, but I mean, the the ultimately what ends up you you have here is, of course, we have the establishment of the guidelines that CBS has. Yes. For everybody, uh, and that is a that's an important thing going forward. Even if Axonar had been left dead in the water here, um, one thing that, however you feel about the CBS guidelines is that they are a set of guidelines, and future projects were not likely to run into this problem, which is good. Um, you know, even, you know, we talk about this sometimes here on the independent film level, is that because you don't have resources that you have, if you're a, you know, a major studio, you have a lot of restrictions, you have to learn to operate within those restrictions, and you can get very, very creative. Mm-hmm. And I think that that however you feel about, you know, your personal opinion of what the CBS rules are, they're rules you can work in and they're rules you can find, you know, the edges of and play with. So I think that's actually a, a useful thing and, and there might be a little bit of, you know, looking at it as, you know, finding the, the positive here, right? Right. But at the same time, I, I, I don't... It's such a... It's such an interesting argument. We talked about it before, of course, and my apologies, folks, if I sound all stuffy, I'm, I'm coming off a, a head cold. Um, you know, we talked about this before when we talked when an earlier discussions on the very subject that the you know the question of who gets to do what with properties that are actually owned by somebody else. by somebody else. So there is a copyright issue. There is a question of who owns the property. You know, is it the studios? Is it the fans? And the answer is, of course, the studio owns yeah. it because that's the law. But the fans, you know, you can understand why fans have a sense of it belongs to them because they are the people who made it. Oh, sure. And that successful. argument that argument has been used a number of cases because sure. it's like, well, without the fans, you wouldn't have the money to make the thing. So, you know, we make it happen. Well, yeah, to I a mean, certain extent. And but. I get and I get that. And I completely understand that on an emotional level. Yeah. But we are, we, you know, and, and there's a whole argument to be made about copyright law and problems with copyright law. That's that's a big, big argument that's an ongoing, it's not it's not a new argument. No, no. That's it's big. not going to be an argument that's, that's going to get resolved because no, it's, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, but, but it's, and there's some really interesting, if you folks really want to dive into the legal stuff, the copy, the argument, you know, about where we stand right now with copyright law in a lot of different ways 
uh, is a very interesting deep dive. I mean, you'll have to go yeah. you'll have to go in and, and do a lot of back research because you know you got to look at all the details. But it's a fascinating argument. But the reality is, is that in the in the world we operate in, the world that the fans operate in, the world the studios operate in, if this if somebody owns the property, if somebody has the right, you know, has the the legal right to the property, then they they get to decide what happens to it. Right. Well, and and you know we're only a week out from the settlement. Yeah. And there's already uh, there's already legal precedent in there uh, because uh, one of the one of the big things now the the trial this whole case was set to go to trial on January thirty first, mm-hmm. which was right around the corner. Right. And a week ago, two weeks ago, when was it? There was a ruling uh, from <clears throat> Judge R. Gary Klosner. Uh-huh. And this decision, it was he's a federal judge. He ruled that Axenar would not be able to use fair use in their defense against the copyright lawsuit. And that was a huge part of their case. Right. It's, you know, fair use, fair use, fair use, fair use. We heard it for a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all, you know, fair use. And it's not. And according to this federal judge, who actually has a ruling on the record now, right? this is not fair use. And a, not a week later, that decision was used in another case that involved David Gerald. Mm-hmm. And the estate of Dr. Seuss, Theodore oh, Gusman, right, yeah. because they wrote a book, "Oh, the places you'll boldly go," which is kind of a Star Trek Dr. Seuss type right. of thing, and they got dinged for it, and they said you can't do that, and they used this Axonar decision that says basically fan films and fan fiction and all this other stuff don't count as as fair use. Now, if you do a parody, sure, right. That's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Although parody law is not clear cut either, there are a lot of ways to trip up on that as well. Well, that and and you know you've got you know what what essentially is you know either either you're making fun of it or you're doing some sort of commentary on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fair use has been invoked in the Star the Star Wars despecialized edition that's now out there online. Right. You know, people are saying it's fair use because it's film history. This is a project in in film production, you know, his historic this is basically trying to recreate a historical document that's been lost type of thing. Sure. In creating a copy of Star Wars that reportedly, quote-unquote, so-called, doesn't exist anymore. Right. And <coughs> 4K, uh-huh. sure. 4K. <laughs> but, now, you know, of course, there's the question of whether or not that's actually true. Right. Uh, because if, there, if that 4K version is the original theatrical release... Then <laughs> these people working on the despecialized editions are out of work, <laughs> you know. But it, you you have that you know is this fair use or not? Is it fair use? Is it fair use? And this you know this is now a huge thing because it's now on the books, 
that right. fan films are not fair use. And that's going to have a bigger impact, I think, than the Axonar settlement. Because now you have guidelines for the fan films, at least as far as Star Trek goes. We don't have fan films for anything. You know, we don't have guidelines for anything else. Well, probably if, if Lucasfilm continues the fan film competition, we'll have guidelines for that. Sure. But as far as you know, Battlestar Galactica fan films or Doctor Who fan films or Space 1999 fan films or Stargate or you know, whatever, Farscape, right. none of those have guidelines yet. Well, but I think you also... But they're not big enough yet. They're not big enough yet. And they're, they're, they, so many of these other films do not have the swirling question of all this money. Once you get into anything over, you know, couple couple of tens of thousands of dollars, because you know, you look at you're talking about the fan projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once once you you know, if you're looking at something like New Voyages or Phase Two, or you know, a lot of money went into producing those. They money was spent to make them happen. Yes, but but it was private money. It was private money, and um, there, uh, Cracked Magazine just had an interview with a guy who did Sulu. For them for several years. Oh, Grand Amara? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting. So uh, I talked about some of the behind the scenes stuff. And, and Well, the other, the other thing is, and, and this has been pointed out in several different places, the idea of building out a studio instead of renting one that was already done and ready. Because you're in Los Angeles, you could throw a rock and you can hit three of them. Probably some that probably would really like the business. Ah, uh, yeah. And why in the world would you spend all of that money to retrofit a warehouse that's a not up to code? Two now now isn't even still finished, mm-hmm. and because it's not finished, because there's not electrical work, can't be rented out for other productions like they originally planned. Sure. I mean, despite what Peters says. His actions would indicate that the plan was to build out a studio they could then rent for other productions for profit. I mean, why else would you do it? And he even said – we listened uh, to this uh, this Axonar podcast supplement that they were talking about the, the settlement. Mm-hmm. And he even said at one point – and I wrote it down – projects other than Axonar yeah. is in their plan. Well, if you are planning projects other than Axonar and you're building out a studio of your own with the money that you've raised for the Axonar project, then, you know, one plus one plus one, you're making a studio that is not part of this whole fan film project. Yeah, but in in fairness to him, in the context of what he was talking about, he was talking about providing things for the donors. Right, other, other, other. Right, because stuff. clearly there's limitations on Axonar. Right. So I mean, if you can't do your 90 minute film and you have to do two 15 minute films, you know the the what he does. The question then I think is going to come up: Are the donors going to be happy with these other projects? Mm-hmm. Because if you gave your money for a and 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 I would hope that the donors of any project. Okay, we all. It, Everybody runs the risk of this when you're going to any kind of, you know, Kickstarter or Patreon or, or Indiegogo or any of these things where you're signing up to give somebody money so that you get something in return, right? Right. And sometimes that something is thank you or your name in the credits or whatever it is. 
but it, you are investing in a project. Now, you're not likely to get a financial return. Most projects of this kind end up never actually giving you what they said they were going to give you. <laughs> Statist- statistically speaking, nah, they yeah. more, more fail than succeed, okay? Uh, even the ones that make money don't actually provide the perks. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, through nobody's nobody's fault, okay? And I'm not I'm not bashing on the folks who can't do it because it's, it's tough sometimes. But that said... Um, <clears throat> Well, this article here out of arstechnica.com mm-hmm. talks about the settlement. And this is this is where we first saw the news about the right. settlement. AXA Monitor, uh, Carlos Pedraza over at AXA Monitor has a really good summation of everything that's been going on throughout the year throughout this thing. Um, and we'll link to that. He actually was part of the echo chamber dis- mm-hmm. discussion along with Michael Hinman over at 1701, uh, who, right. just, who just unfriended me over on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So anyway, so yeah, the the settlement, of course, is sealed from public record, but joint statement from Axonar and CBS and Paramount acknowledged that both films were not approved. Now, we're talking about both Axonar and Prelude to Axonar. Right. Both films were not approved by Paramount or CBS and that both works crossed boundaries acceptable to CBS and Paramount relating to copyright law. Now, this is part of the statement that was released. This is the public face thing. So basically, one, that's a win for CBS and Paramount to to get Peters to even acknowledge that. Yeah. Because from the very get-go, he was like, no, we haven't violated any copyright. No, no, no. No, that's the fair fair use argument, really. Right. Settlement also requires the uh, Peters to make substantial changes to Axonar to resolve the litigation. According to the statement, it includes changing from the feature length, the 90-minute film— to the two 15-minute short film episodes, uh, which will be posted to YouTube without advertising, and the 20-minute prelude to Axonar will be allowed to stay up on YouTube. Right. Only uh, they can't run ads. All right. of this stuff, they can't run ads on any of it uh, as part of the deal. And honestly, so much, of, so much of the stuff that comes back to bite you is when you're trying to make money, you you or the organization that you're in, or the group that you're in, or whatever it is, is trying to make money off somebody else's owned property. Yep. That's... And and I really don't think that they would have settled if Klostner hadn't said they couldn't use fair use. I, I think that was the big kickstand they were leaning on. Mm-hmm. And when Klostner said, nope, this is not fair use. Are you kidding? Then they sat there and went, "Oh, what are we going to do now, guys?" Well, and you can see this—you uh, can see this in legal courses. You know, legal courses, legal cases. There was a case recently about uh, uh, health insurance, uh, where a large company who will remain nameless for legal purposes uh, had a judge actually look into who actually knew how to read uh, medical, you know, medical legal documents. And sat there and went, in and went huh, um, what you said publicly versus what you said internally don't match. Yeah. And these are things that are going to come back to bite you. So you can't actually say, you know, do the thing you said because you lied. Um, and so, you know, when you look at these things, you look at the legal requirements. Again, folks, one, one more time, and I, I keep got to keep saying this. Um, if you don't own it. You know, you have to be very, very careful about what you're doing with it because 
fan works. You, you you see fan art all over the place. People wearing you know cosplay and and people making you know episodes for YouTube of Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever it is. Doctor mm-hmm. Who. They make this stuff, and you can tell they're having a good time, and they're playing. It's a game. It's you know, but they're not making money. Well, now here's here's the here's the other, the, the other question off of that. Spinning off of this discussion, I have always been curious about how cosplayers and cosplay photographers can get away with selling prints, selling photos. So, like, you know, somebody like... Jessica Negri, who's going to be at Planet Comic Con this year, or mm-hmm. you know, Kara Nicole, or or Eric Moran, or or sure. any of these people, they're cosplayers. They take pictures in costume. Mm-hmm. They sell the pictures. Well, technically, that's a violation of copyright because they don't own Power Girl and Gatchaman sure, right. and Green Arrow and Superman and Batman. And there's a, I think there's a couple different that. ways this plays in. And I think that one, they're, we're not talking, you know, ridiculously large amounts of money. Right. They are not making, you know, life, well, with the exception of a handful of them, they are not making living money. Right. But you look at somebody like Yaya Han, who now has a deal with Joanne Fabrics well, to, to create patterns sure, for costumes. But. Well, and well, for, I'm pretty sure that the stuff with Joanne's fabric probably has some licensing stuff that goes with it from the various people that are involved. If you're doing a Power Girl, you know, jo- thing with Joanne's fabrics, there's some licensing happening with Possibly. Warner Brothers. I would I the odds, odds are very, very high because yeah. they don't want to get sued. Right. But you also look at the from the studio from the studio standpoint, from especially if you're looking at m- like Marvel superhero characters, you know, the the cinematic world, that's free advertising. Some of these, some of these folks end up being positive brand ambassadors, and that's where it does get interesting because, and some of them actually get hired exactly. for public events right. when they do screenings. So, and stuff. so I think from a from a legal standpoint, the argument is going that the cosplayers can serve as brand ambassadors for our comic books and for our movies, whereas something like Axanar or a large scale fan project uh, for any property is basically. You making somebody else's, playing with somebody else's toys, and they are not getting anything out of it. And and the argument that people can make that, well, what we are doing is promoting this, this thing that we love. Right. Um, gets real dubious legally. Well, especially considering that as far as the Axonar people were concerned, they were all sitting there going, well, this is going to be better than what they're making for reels. And well, they're worried it, that what our stuff is is going to be better than what they're making officially for reels, and that's why they shut us down. And you know, even in this, even in this podcast where Peter was talking about, you know, uh, the fact that Star Trek Discovery, the new series, is going uh-huh. to CBS All Access, and we hear that it's finally gone into gone into principal photography, finally. <laughs> but apparently, you know, I mean, Peters is making the case. Well, Discovery didn't exist before we did our thing. And, oh, I wonder why they picked the same year that we set our movie in. And, and Brian Fuller was a big fan. And and Peter said something. He said Brian Fuller was forced out of Discovery. 
and it was just an off-the-cuff remark. And Peter, Peters is very good at the off-the-cuff of the remark that mm-hmm. show that he's not thinking things through what he says <laughs> because I, I have not read anywhere that Brian Fuller was forced out of Discovery. Fuller left because of the scheduling conflict that came up because of American Gods, because Discovery kept, what for whatever reason, sure. delay after delay after delay on that, on that production, it ran into now Fuller's got another commitment that he's got to get to. Right. So he left Discovery. They didn't, as far as I can tell from everything that I've read, nobody kicked him off. Well, I think I think you if you if you use the words forced off when combined with due to schedule commitments. D- um, yeah, but that's yeah, di- know, that's I, different from what he said. Well, I though. know, I know, and I think you have to ask yourself sometimes, you know, why we get uh, we get freaked out about fans, and I do it too. We all do. Fans get freaked out about things. We what? freak out. <laughs> yeah, I have news. The deuce you say. Uh, okay. Two or three people get freaked <laughs> out all the time. No, um, delays on something like Discovery are not surprising. Mm. Okay. It's world building from the ground up. Uh, because it is not building on the technology of Star Trek, the original series, and Star Trek Next Generation. Right. Or they got to go from scratch go because from of scratch. the time period. And yes, you can take some stuff from Enterprise, and but that those sets don't exist anymore. Right. And so you have to. I mean, there, it, there's world building, and there's all this different stuff. There's a million things that can slow that down. Ca- think, casting, casting, being one or, of them. Yeah. So, so, so I mean, yeah, we wanted this to. I, we would love to have Brian Fuller be doing it, and but I'm excited about American Gods, so I'm not going to argue the point. Well, and they're still using some of his scripts. They're using. So, mo- I think they're using know, all of his scripts. Yeah, so I it's heard. not like it's not like he's completely gone. No, no. And I think that you have to. He's just not the showrunner anymore. Right. And sometimes that's okay. I mean, we've seen shows. We've seen some very, very talented showrunners who, um, sh- you know, leaving the leaving the show is the best thing that happened to the show. Walking Dead. I mean, Frank Darabont is an amazing filmmaker. Uh, you know, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. is great a film. great film. Uh, Green Mile. Um, the Mist, you know, these are fantastic adaptations of Stephen King is a tough guy to you know, adapt. They're making a remake of The Mist. They're making a series yeah. of The Mist, and I am concerned because <laughs> the brief, 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 brief digression. For those of you who have read the novella and seen the film, and if you were traumatized by the dar- much darker ending of of the movie, um. I loved it. I have. I mean, it's 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 a horrible ending. It's terrible. It, it punches you right in the gut. Mm. But I was. It was so much in tone of the world that King built in the in the novella, and in, it's in the film. The novella ends on a different tone. Yeah. And I look at both of those, and I ask myself, how do you build a series out of this without betraying either a hopeful tone or <laughs> Or a tone where, you know, that, that, that just heartbreaking uh, uh, tone of you know, crushing the spirit. So, yeah. I don't know. I just, it's a, like, okay, 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 you know, go ahead, guys. But uh, I would like to see Manny Cotto get another shot. Oh, okay, sure. You know, they brought him in the fourth year of Enterprise mm-hmm. to save Enterprise. And it was, it was finally... Mm-hmm. It was finally watchable Star Trek. Yeah. 
and it was too little too late. It was it was not soon enough. I mean, the show was pretty much already dead by the time they brought him. He in. really needed to be there second season. That oh, was that yeah, was that absolutely. was your save. That was your save point. Was yeah. get him in second season and and yeah, and that's really too bad because I would love to have seen what he could have done with it. Oh yeah, I, I, it, because fourth season, it, it, absent the finale, <clears throat> <laughs> fourth season was probably the best out of all out all the sh- series. That would, well, we for got. the fans who enjoyed the fourth season and did not like the finale, the novel series has gone a long way to basically hand-waving away, <laughs> rather effectively, by the way, uh, yeah. hand-waving away some of the real egregious issues of, of the, the finale, finale. Yeah. by going, that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what the records say, but that's not what happened. Yeah. Don't be silly. That's a silly thing. We don't... We, the winners, silly things winners don't write the history, and that's not exactly the truth. <laughs> there was a filter error, and someone yeah. forgot to put yeah. a period when they should have put a comma... You know, we've been running into that lately. <laughs> uh, but anyway, okay, so where we go from here? Axonar becomes two separate little 15-minute films. Sure. So we get 30 minutes of Axonar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there apparently is also in the works a documentary about Axonar. And a book. And a book about the making of Axonar. <clears throat> I don't know. Peter just seems really full of himself. Well, you know, I on some, on I some mean, level... Who, uh, who okay. does this about a fan film? On some level, you have to have there's there's a we we know this okay we we've made we've written things uh, we've written fiction we've written films we there's a level of ego you have to have okay you yeah. gotta have it um, that is a plus to some degree there are degrees there are points <laughs> you sit there and go okay I mean. To some degree, you know, he is he is giving the fans of this whole idea, XNR specifically, but this idea, he's giving them what they want. And I can't fault him for that. It's a little it's a little much for me. I kinda don't need to read a book about XNR. Mm. It might be really good. I may change my mind. You may hear me sit there and go, Hey, you know what? This is an awesome book, I highly recommend it. Right now, my thought is I do not need to know. I'm not that interested. You know, they talked a little about the, some of the production design stuff. Maybe yeah. a book about that. Okay, that might be interesting to look at. But I'm a production designer, so sure. I like that. That's thing. your thing. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, I don't really need. Uh, I don't need a. I don't need a behind the scenes. I now well okay. I would be much more interested in a book or a series of articles oh maybe that's something that we could do a, a some something that looks at all of the major fan films oh sure continues new voyages because you know now new voyages is out of production because they're now the official set tour where you can go in and you can see exactly what the sets look like back in the, in 60 Six sixty-seven, sure, yeah. And the Desilu Studios, because because Collie laid it out exactly the same way right. that they had it back then, so you can see that, and it's it's now officially licensed from CBS. But to have a series of articles about what it took to build these sets, mm-hmm. what it takes 
to put together the fan films, what it takes to put together the costumes and the props, and all, I mean, that Kentucky bourbon bottle they use for the Sorian brandy. How long? Mm. How, you know, what? What did it take to find that? Because it's right. been out of production for you know forty years. So that would be much more interesting to me than just a book about Axanar. Well, but I mean, again, for the for the folks who are and to some okay, so for the folks who paid money into Axanar. It's probably going to be of high use and high value and high interest. Maybe. Well, I would think so. I mean, if you're, if you know, it's cool stuff for for the folks who really are excited about this. But yeah, I know something that looks at the larger, the larger field because Star Trek has a really rich fan feel, film playing field. Yeah. Uh, folks who are, you know, things that don't come with, unfortunately, unfortunately, the baggage of Axanar because Prelude to Axanar was a really cool film. It was, and there was a lot of potential there. Yeah. But uh, I think. I think the the reaction to Prelude might have served to inflate the britches of certain people a little bit more than it probably ought to. It's it's certainly possible. I tell you what, I am actually looking forward to seeing the two 15-minute films they make because I I have, yeah, I'm curious I've been interested to see have them finish their story. Yeah. As much even as much as they can. Um quite frankly, if if one of the books that they want to produce actually is, you know, a version of the script a no, maybe a novelization of the script they had in mind. Here's that what would it, be kind of Here's cool. what it would have been, yeah. type of thing. I, I'd be interested in seeing that. Yep. Except it's got to be it's got to be free. They can't charge for it. Well, you know, yeah. it can be a it can be a reward for their Patreon account. Sure. Hey, speaking of Patreon accounts, hey, well, see what you did there. You set that up nicely. Sneaky. We do have a Patreon account. patreoncom slash fi for me. The money does not go to pay for uh, my rent. <clears throat> or my bills. Uh, it's, it, it helps us with uh, with various expenses here. Uh, but you can uh, you can go over there, and if you are so inclined, you can uh, pledge to uh, help support us in our efforts here. Uh, if you have thoughts on the Axonar settlement or any other topic that we discuss, uh, you can send us an email, h2o at sci-fi com, or you can leave a comment on our social media or on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, YouTube, Tumblr, uh, we have video game play over on Twitch and uh, various other podcasts that are available on iTunes and podcast.com and uh, your various Android players of choice. And, of course, the latest headlines over at SciFiForMe.com. That's going to do it for us this week. Tim Harvey. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, for sitting in. And, and to those of you out there, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of H2O here on Sci-Fi For Me Radio. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2017 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio.